passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Well, I am super excited about their baptism this afternoon, aren't you guys? Yeah. Well, for those of you who are new, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm real excited to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. And I'm also excited that we can be together as a church family. We call this One Church, One Day, where we actually get together and worship our Lord and Savior. You know, this summer, uh, the pastoral team has been bringing us through the Lord's Prayer. They've been helping us look at that pair, at prayer as a pattern for prayer, uh, something we can learn from. I don't know if you realize this, but the Lord's Prayer is actually found in two places in our Bible. It's found in the book of Matthew, which is the one we've been studying, but a little shorter version of the Lord's Prayer is actually found in the book of Luke. And I'm going to have to turn almost sideways here if we can get the, the wind noise out there. Um, it's found in the book of Luke. And after the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke, what we find is that Jesus, while continuing to teach on prayer, gives a little parable about prayer and a little principle about prayer. And we're going to study them this morning. But both the parable about prayer and the principle are both answering the question, why should we pray? I mean, have you ever felt that way? Like, why bother to pray? Doesn't God know everything already anyway? I mean, was, isn't God going to do what God's always been planning to do? So why play, pray and try and get Him to change His mind? Even when we pray and we tell God what's going on in our life, doesn't He already know what's going on in our life because He knows everything? So doesn't it feel like we're just wasting our time in prayer? I know we've studied God and we know that He's a really big God and He's large and in charge and He has everything planned out. He has world history ordered. So like, why should we bother to pray? There's some verses in the Bible that remind us of this. For instance, Psalm 33 verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of His heart to all generations. Like, our plans, they change all the time based on our circumstances. Plans could have changed today based on the weather. We may not have been out here, but God's not that way. He makes a plan, and it says it's fixed for all generations. Or as it says in Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We can make all kinds of plans, but it's God's plans that will always prove true. Isn't this why prophecy in the Bible is always considered reliable? In the Old Testament, we find that God told His people that they would be exiled into Babylon, and they would be exiled for exactly 70 years. And 70 years to, to the exact time, God freed His people from exile. God said that all ahead of time, before any of it even happened. In fact, God even declared the name of the king that would set his people free. The name of the king before he was even born. We read about this in Isaiah 44, 28. It says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, 
she shall be rebuilt, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. So God is a large God, large and in charge, and he has everything planned out, even decades ahead of time, millennia ahead of time. It's all under control. This is not just an Old Testament thing, but by the way, this is a New Testament thing as well. Have you ever read this in Acts chapter 4, 27 through 28? It says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom he anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And then notice this. It says, To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is amazing. All of the evils that were done to Jesus, all of the brutality that was shown to Jesus, all the miscarriages of justice in his trial, all of that was planned ahead of time from before the foundation of the world. None of it took God by surprise. And if God has everything planned out that way and so detailed and even the difficulties and trials planned out, why pray? Why waste our time praying? Well, the parable and the principle that we're going to look at this morning, right after the Lord's Prayer, will give us answers to that. But before I jump into that parable and principle, let me just give you two preliminary answers as to why we should pray, even though God seems so large and so big. Number one is this. We pray because God tells us to pray. I mean, why would Jesus teach us the Lord's Prayer and instruct us to pray if it was pointless to pray? Isn't that true? So we pray because God taught us to pray. Second reason is this. While God has everything under control, He has determined that the way He will work out His plans in this world is in response to the prayers of His people in this world. Let me say that again. While God does have everything under control in this world, He has already determined that the way He will work out His plan in this world is in response to the prayers of His people, you and me, in this world. So our prayer matters. It, it, it makes a difference. Now, as we get into um, the section of Scripture we're going to look at, we'll find two more reasons why we should pray. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. It's going to be verses 5 through 13, and I'm going to read that text for you, and then we'll go ahead and study it together. Beginning in verse 5, right after the Lord's Prayer is given in the Gospel of Luke. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's go ahead and work our way through this text. Let's begin with the first part, which is the parable of what I'd like to call the grumpy neighbor. It begins with this. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? Now, as soon as we read that, we think of three loaves of Wonder Bread or three loaves of wheat bread, big pieces of bread. But that's not the way this would have been understood in the ancient world. For them, the bread was a flat bread. It was more like what we would call a pita bread. It was a small bread. And why three? Well, three of these small pita breads, either dipped in olive oil or spread with fruit, would have been a small and modest meal in that day. But why does he ask his neighbor? And why is he even short of bread? Well, here's some answers. In that culture, when people baked food, they usually baked just enough for the day. And after the bread was gone for the day, the bread was gone. Bread didn't come with preservatives to make it last a long time. It was sort of like Jimmy John's day-old bread. You guys ever bought that? You know, it's good for maybe one day, and then it gets really hard as a rock. That's what bread was like in that day. Incidentally, they had no Walmarts to go to late at night. They had no 24-hour gas stations to go to late at night. When you're short on food, you had to go to your neighbor and try to borrow food. So nothing is unusual about borrowing bread from your neighbor except for the fact that he's doing it at midnight. I mean, that's an easy way to turn your, your neighbor who was a friend into your neighbor who was an enemy. Let's continue with the text. It says, For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now we know the reason that he went to him at midnight. It's not because he had a late-night case of the munchies. He had a friend that arrived at his house unexpectedly. Incidentally, in this ancient world, it was very important for you to be hospitable to your guests. Hospitality was required. So this man who had no bread had a choice. Either be completely inhospitable and send this guy to bed hungry or be a bad neighbor. To get his neighbor up in the middle of the night and see if he could borrow a few loaves. Let's read what happened. And he says, he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, as soon as I read this, when I was studying it this week, I felt like I identified with this guy. He was in bed, he was asleep, and he doesn't like to be disturbed. Anybody else a sound sleeper? Just me? I'll tell you how sound, thank you. I'll tell you how sound of a sleeper I am. A couple of years ago, we lived in a different part of Spirit Lake, smaller subdivision. I went to bed on a Saturday night around a little bit after 10.30. That's my time. It's 10.30. Sound asleep. 
Apparently what happened right on our block was we had a drunk neighbor, ended up in a fight with a police officer. Police from all over the lakes area were on our block. The lights were flashing. Everything was going on. The neighbors were up. I didn't even know about it until Monday. Slept through the whole thing. So I could identify with this guy. When he's in bed, he likes to stay in bed. He says he's in bed and he's tired, but it's not just that, but the door is shut. Incidentally, in this time, the doors don't usually come on hinges. Doors are pieces of wood that they're put in front of the open hole in the wall, and they're bolted on all four sides. They're heavy. It's hard to get a door open. A lot of noise. And he has kids. Incidentally, they don't have separate bedrooms. Everybody sleeps in one room. They roll a mat on the floor. Mom, dad, and the kids are all on the mat. So to get up, to open this door, make all this racket, it's going to get the kids up, and they're going to start crying. It's going to be a complete mess. So even though his neighbor is a friend, he says, you need to go away. Now the story takes a very interesting twist. Let me read it to you. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Friendship will not get this guy out of bed, but impotence will get the guy out of bed. And if you're like me, you read that and you go, what is impotence? I need to figure out what it is. And I'll tell you, impotence means sort of recklessness or, or shamelessness or like obnoxious boldness. And then as a pastor, what I like to do is I like to start studying, like, what's the word behind this? And here's where it gets even more interesting. The Greek word behind this is the Greek word anadia. This is the only time it is used in the Bible. And sometimes it's translated negatively. Sometimes it's been translated positively even though it's only used one time. In the negative sense, it means that shamefulness, but in a positive sense, it would mean persistence or, or boldness. And what's happened over history is that somewhere around the Middle Ages, people weren't too sure exactly how to translate this word, so they started translating it more positively than negatively. And maybe you've read this parable before in your Bibles. And it's because of this man's persistence you've read or because of this man's boldness that his neighbor will give him everything he needs. Well, here's where it gets a little dicey. I wasn't too sure what to do with this, so I studied it and studied all kinds of literature on it. And I learned that in the first 500 years of history since Jesus, that word was never translated positively. It doesn't mean boldness. It doesn't mean persistence. It has something to do with shamefulness. Then interestingly, as I studied it more, the best Greek scholars say the shamefulness is being talked about here is actually not the shamefulness of the guy coming to ask his neighbor at midnight, but it's the guy who's being asked. He will get up and give his friend bed, bread because he doesn't want the shame of turning him away and essentially not being hospitable in that culture. And I found this interesting. If you guys have a modern NIV, a new NIV translation, there's a footnote that says this. 
So I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him the bread because of his friendship, yet to preserve his good name, in other words, to avoid being shamed, he will get up and give you as much as you need. So what is this parable teaching us? Folks, it's not a parable of similarity. It's called a parable of contrast. Our God is not like a grumpy friend who, when we have a need, does not want to be bothered in the middle of the night with small things. Folks, we have a God who loves us immensely. He may be busy running this universe. He may be busy thinking about things in different galaxies, but He loves you. He cares about you. No matter what your need is, no matter how small your need is, even if it's just for three pieces of bread, our God is eager to hear from us. Our God is eager to help us. He is never inconvenienced by us. He never ignores us. He never says, go away, I'm busy, this is a bad time. This is why Jesus follows it up by immediately saying, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Our God loves us so much, He loves to answer our prayers. I like the way James says this. In James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, You know, you do not have because you do not ask. Many times, we don't have God, or we don't see God answering our prayers simply because we haven't taken the time to ask God for things in prayer. And we could ask Him for all kinds of things, even small things. So here's the third point of why we pray. We pray because God is not inconvenienced by our prayers. He's not too busy to answer our prayers. But our God loves us, and He is eager to respond to our needs. Now, I know that immediately raises a question. You say, well, I've prayed for things many times. It doesn't seem like God's listening. It doesn't seem like God responds. It doesn't seem like God hears. If God is really eager to answer us, why doesn't he seem to respond to the things I ask him for? The answer to that is in the next three verses. As we move from the parable of the grumpy neighbor to what is called the principle of the loving Father. Jesus says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Dads love their children. How many dads do we have here? Dads? Dads, do you like your kids? Do you love your kids? Can I get an amen on that, dads? Yeah, we love our kids. If our kids ask us for something, we'd love to give them those things. We go to the pet store and our kids are asking for a goldfish. We don't say, no, you don't want a goldfish. Let's go over here and get a pit viper. That'll be great around your room as a six-year-old. No way. If our kids ask for eggs for breakfast, 
we don't sit there and say, well, here, have a live scorpion. Maybe that'll go better on your plate instead of scrambled eggs. Of course not. And Jesus says it this way. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The point is simple. If we, as sinful fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will a wise, loving, all-knowing Heavenly Father give good gifts to us when we ask Him. But here's the way He gives those good gifts. This is what we often forget. When God answers our prayers, He answers our prayers in a way that is best for us, in a timing that is right for us, so we're able to bring Him more glory. In other words, we may pray for something and God may not give it to us because it's not good for us. Or if he does give it to us, he may not give it to us right away. He may give it to us later. And that's not because he doesn't love us. That's because he does. And every father knows that. You can't give your kids everything they want when they ask for it. I was talking to my middle child about a week ago on the phone. And we were laughing together because one Christmas, all he wanted as a little kid was a motorcycle. He had to have a motorcycle. Dad, I don't want anything else. Not to mention we live in a small subdivision that he could not get it out of first gear in the front yard. Not to mention the fact that he would tear up the front yard and then be riding on the road illegally. Not to mention he'd be riding through the neighbor's yards, destroying them. Son, I love you, but I cannot get you a motorcycle. Now he's 23 and he laughs at his request. But when he was young, that's the only thing he could think of, and he couldn't understand why I wouldn't get him one. But as a loving father, I only what would give him what was good for him, and I could only give him what was good for him and what was the right timing for him. And isn't it the same way with our Heavenly Father? He knows us. He knows this world better than we know it. He loves to answer our prayers, but in a way that is best for us, in a timing that is right for us, and in such a way that will help us bring more glory to the Heavenly Father. And that, my friends, is a better answer. I was thinking about this, reminding of Jesus. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross? Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. What a model for prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm really not excited about being whipped, being beaten, being disfigured. I'm really not excited about dying on a cross, be becoming sin. It's not going to necessarily be a, a real fun afternoon. But it's not what I want. It's what you want. What you want is better, and I submit my will to your will, and I trust you in that. That's the same thing for us. When we pray, we know the character of our God. He loves to hear from us. He's eager to respond to us, even on small things like three pieces of toast. But He's a good Father. 
He's a loving Father who will give us what's best for us in a timing that is right for us. And they may not necessarily mean that He will take away all the trials, all the trouble, and all the pain. Because in His wisdom, He will know if it's best for us to go through those things and what He wants to do through those things so we can trust Him. So God answers our prayers in a way that is best for us, but it may not always be in a way that we expect. And as we get to the very end of this passage, that's exactly what we find. Because it says in Luke eleven thirteen, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That sounds like a strange ending. If you go to Matthew, where this same story is told, it says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Well, that sounds easier. If we know how to give good things, how much more will our heavenly Father give good things? But then here in Luke, it says the same thing, but it says He will give the Holy Spirit. Well, that sounds like you're getting gypped, doesn't it? Well, I like when God gives me good things, but why would He give me the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Folks, think of it this way. You may not have prayed to have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is the best thing God can ever give us. It is better than any other good gift that we may ask for. We may be asking for what we think is a good thing, but God loves to give us Oftentimes, what is a better thing, a thing we never even asked for? Think of it this way. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the very Trinity living inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us into a completely new creation, a new person. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. He leads us to our repentance. He draws us to God. He gives us spiritual gifts so we can serve God and serve others. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our troubles. Every good thing you have in this life, in your relationship with God, has come to you from the Holy Spirit in you. So God, He may not give us the good gifts we're asking for, but He'll give us a better gift than we ever could possibly ask for. So we pray because even if God doesn't answer our prayers the way we hope or expect, we know that our God is a loving Father who will only give us what's good for us and what's best for us to help us bring more glory to God. So this morning I wanted to cover, I covered four reasons why we pray. Let me just give those to you again. Well, number one, we pray because God tells us to and because Jesus tells us to. Obviously, prayer must make a difference. Number two, we pray because even though God knows everything, He carries out His plans in this world in response to the prayers of His people in this world. He carries out His plans in this world in response to the prayers of His people. And then we have the parable of the grumpy neighbor. We pray because God is not a grumpy neighbor who is bothered by our small requests. He loves us and wants us to ask for all of our needs, he's eager to respond. And then we have the principle of a loving father. We pray because our God is a loving father 
He answers our prayers in a way that is best for us, with timing that is right for us, oftentimes giving us better than we even asked for in the first place, like the Holy Spirit Himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that we can come to You in prayer. That even though You're busy running the entire world, You care about us. You love us. You hear us and even care about our small needs. And You're eager to answer. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for only giving us what is good and oftentimes giving us what is better than we ever deserved or asked for. We are so privileged to have such a good Heavenly Father. This week, may we be people constantly turning to our God who loves us in prayer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.